Too many patients remain long-term patients because of their misguided efforts to train their back strength. In many cases, their training approach needs an overhaul. Think of strength in relation to the body, like horsepower in relation to a car. If a souped-up 500-horsepower engine is put inside a dinky, broken-down car and then raced around town at top speed, it's only a matter of time before the mega-engine rips the frail frame and suspensions to pieces. Similarly, a back patient who has developed a disproportionate amount of strength in relation to their current level of endurance can only expect further injury. We've measured this time and time again in strong back patients. Specifically, a resilient back has endurance matched to strength. Back injuries are a result of putting a spine under load and then breaking healthy movement form. Maintaining proper movement patterns requires endurance. Therefore, we must always place endurance as a higher priority to strength when it comes to rehabilitating a patient with the spine condition. Only after the back-pained person has increased their endurance for sustaining healthy movement patterns, and in turn, their stability and mobility, should they progress to more aggressive strength training. Welcome to Glorious Professionals, brought to you by GoRuck Media. I'm Jason, and today I'm talking with Dr. Stuart McGill, Professor Emeritus of Spine Biomechanics at the University of Waterloo in Canada, where he was a professor for 32 years, the author of Back Mechanic, and CEO of BackFit Pro. He's basically the expert when it comes to backs and dealing effectively with back injury and pain. He's worked with MMA fighters, NFL athletes, and Tier 1 Special Operations guys, just to name a few groups in a very diverse lot. Two years ago now, before this podcast, Glorious Professionals, existed, and it was called The Go Ruck Show, I had the opportunity to visit his BackFit Pro Lab just north of Toronto, Canada, and talk to him about his work, which hugely impacted my thinking on rucking and human performance. This full conversation is long overdue to share, so let's get to it. Yeah, well, thanks very much. Welcome uh, up to uh, northern Canada. <laughs> Northern Canada, huh? Is there, this isn't Southern? Well, it's, it's uh, depending on your perspective, people think of this as more Northern Ontario than they do Southern here. All right. Oh, about 120 miles North of Toronto. All right. Awesome. So one of the things that attracted me to some of your, your writings was that you've done a lot of obviously research on backs and spines throughout your career. And when Michael Easter wrote a piece for men's health about rucking, as the, the new fitness trend for, for men, you were cited as the back authority, the back doctor out there. I know you don't like to call yourself that and sort of shy away and say, well, I was a professor in this, but you've been working on backs for, and studying backs for a really long time. So just a brief introduction on some of the stuff that you've done throughout your career. Well, I was a professor for 32 years and uh, I started two different laboratories. Uh, to measure loads on uh, people's backs and associated tissues doing a wide variety of uh, tasks. And uh, we learned how the spine worked, how it became injured, how to rehabilitate it, how to enhance its performance. And uh, then we had the research clinic where we would uh, work with back pained individuals and try and restore their performance. So we would use different tools to do that and we would measure what worked and what didn't. We followed up with every patient that we ever saw. So we knew very precisely who got better and who got worse. And uh, we, uh, along the way, got to work with uh, 
spectacular athletes, uh, tactical athletes as we call them. So uh, military, police, firefighters, or first responders, I guess is the official name. And um, to build uh, resilient people uh, and very capable people uh, was uh, particularly once they'd had a history of uh, back problems, uh, became a little bit of a specialty of ours. Well, we've, we've spent a lot of today learning from you and those, those, everything will be posted on our, on our site and our rucking section as far as, you know, how the back works. And part of the reason that, that drew me up here was that you've actually used rucking or putting weight in a backpack to help people with, with back problems, which, you know, in, in your book, you called it a, the curious situation where backpacks can reduce spine loads. Please tell us more because the military and all the people who have rucked forever will say how bad rucking is for your back, right? They'll say, oh, you know, I did a hundred pound ruck and I did this and it was, it was terrible for my back. And at Go Ruck, we say you've got to incrementally increase the weight. Start with 20 pounds, right? Coincidentally, you've sort of said similar things, even for people with back pain. So walk us through that, that, uh, Curious situation, if you wouldn't mind. Well, a curious situation uh, with today's uh, common lifestyle, which is one characterized by people sitting way too much to be healthy. Um, And what you will find is that they get a forward flexed antalgia or posture because of their chronic lifestyle, sitting at a computer and that kind of thing. Um, but what we found was when they stand up and they, they, they stand in a, in a flexed posture like this because of that chronic exposure from too much sitting, uh, their back muscles are chronically active in this state, which adds a little bit of a crush load to their back. Um, what we, uh, and, and I might add, uh, not only muscle pain, but what we call discogenic pain, pain that the discs start to become pain generators if you sit too much as well. Well, what we found, uh, quite surprisingly, uh, to many people was when you put a weight in a backpack, that weight now helps to jack up the back to bring the center of mass over the hips. You don't need as much back muscle activity now. And uh, in unloading the back, it reduces muscular backache and it also desensitizes the disc. And then we found uh, to ask the person, go walk over undulating ground. Don't walk on a treadmill. But don't walk on really rough ground either. Just gentle rolling ground with a backpack with about 10 kilos or 24 pounds for you Americans. And uh, that helps to desensitize the disc. If there's uh, any propensity for a disc bulge, it helps to vacuum in the posterior hydraulic pressure uh, that's causing the the discogenic pain. So there's a lot of good things that happen uh, to backs with a very modest weight and going for a walk over gentle undulating ground. So typically the patient returns saying, thanks, that was amazing. 
typically, not everyone, mm -hmm. but most will find that a therapy. And there are some clues that you can interpret to know whether it's going to help or hurt a person. Uh, if you said to them, uh, describe your pain triggers for me. And if they say, yes, well, sitting at the computer take, uh, makes my pain a bit more uh, acute or, or grumpy. But, uh, and I'll say, well, how about going for a fast walk for 10 minutes? Oh no, that's therapeutic. All right, so now we've established the, uh, the first principle. And then I say, what about mall strolling? Walking with your spouse, looking in the window of the shop very slowly. Oh no, no, that, that causes my pain. <laughs> so I'm not sure that's the back or the mall, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but the point is that's a static load. So uh, right away, we're starting to learn that faster walking with load becomes a therapy and I, I can explain the science and the mechanism of that several different uh, ways but uh, the point is for most it's it's a therapy if sitting makes your back pain worse. so the backpack or the rucksack acts as a muscle and when we when we first talked about this you see you, you, I called you and you said do you know how what a lever is do you know how a lever works and that was your sort of analogy that the backpack forced the load off of the, the, the spine, the, the lower back that was engaged incorrectly, right? Yeah. And so to go, to, to go back, so what's the takeaway? The takeaway is, is that if you want to move, you need to move correctly, right? Form always matters. Pain is a, an indicator. You should not be living with pain, right? Well, what is good movement? Good movement is... Uh, uh, free of restrictions, uh, it spares the joints. So we can all move in a way that loads up the joints, but we call that jujitsu. That's how you get a, uh, your opponent to submit. You load and stress a joint. Uh, and people unknowingly do this through inappropriate movement. So good movement is to be stress-free and just flow and move. It's, it's fabulous. So for, for the person who's not necessarily injured, right? There's no herniated disc. There's no kind of specific injury. They just sort of have this, this modern lifestyle, which you know, modern almost makes it sound good somehow. And it's not necessarily good, but where you're just, you have back pain, you lean forward too much and you need to fix your, you need to fix your posture in a way that reduces that pain. Right. And so you say, I mean, is, is rocking good for that person? I mean, is, are, they're not injured, they just have this pain, a chronic back pain, and they can go out and they can go for a walk, which is foundational, non-negotiable, you say. Yeah, walking uh, is non-negotiable, but again, here's the, you, you picked on the word modern lifestyle. So to the average modern person, you would say, well, walk every day, and what they would probably think in their mind is go for a half an hour walk or a 45 minute fast walk. Well, as it turns out, it would be much more helpful for every system in the body. In other words, you're walking for 45 minutes. That's in one shot. If you were to have three 15-minute exposures, once at breakfast, once at lunch, and once at dinner, uh, you still have 45 minutes of cumulative walking, but the health benefits would be so much more. Not only musculoskeletally, but uh, heart, heart, cardiovascularly, hormonally, and neurally. And this is well uh, documented. So uh, that is uh, why we say it's a non-negotiable foundational activity. Well, 
the next uh, issue is, is one of progression, to build resilience and robustness in a person's life so they can enjoy all kinds of things that, that life has to offer. Uh, so a progression for walking would be now walk up a hill. Now add load to it. And uh, you could do that through a, uh, a backpack, for example, and now you've got rocking. I mean, walking is locomotion. I mean, the human body, it's evolution. We're designed to move and, and walk. And you would argue the human body is in a perfect state and we can do whatever we want to do if we do it correctly. Right. Well, it was in a perfect state 100 years ago, but the patients that we get in here and we catalog the physical exposures of their daily lives. Do you know there are lots of people now that don't walk? They get out of bed in the morning and they go sit in their car and then they get their coffee in their car while they're driving to work. Then they sit at a computer for eight hours a day. What do they do at lunch? They sit and then they sit in their car and go home. And what do they do? They prepare dinner and then they watch television. They don't walk. So the evolved body of a hundred years ago is now very quickly de-evolving. And uh, if you want to be healthy, and you want to be pain-free, and you want to have resilience and robustness for uh, having a bit of fun, walking is now non-negotiable. And that's why we say that. It's, it's, it's based in science and in this de-evolution of uh, exposure that we're going through right now. So for, for somebody who, who does a little bit more than that, right? They, they exercise three to five times a week, you know, you can always add a little bit more movement. And, and so in, in the progression of it, if you say, hey, if, if you want to add rucking to that, there are also other benefits that come with that. It's, it's good for your posture. Is that if you ruck with pro proper a technique, you're absolutely correct. But it's like everything else. If uh, it's not coached well, uh, then it becomes uh, problematic. But we can say that about every movement. Right. So it's important to get it right. And so for us, I mean, never sacrifice your form. We say don't ruck run, right? I mean, that, that's just introducing all sorts of other, other problems. And increase the, the, the weight, the time, the distance incrementally. Start with 20 pounds, right? So I mean, I'll take what you've said and just say more people out there should, should rock more because walking for them won't really feel like they've accomplished anything. It, it just sort of feels like locomotion. Even if they, sh they, they should do it, they, you know, we should all take the stairs, right? We, we've been saying this forever. Take the stairs, walk more. That, those are habits for a lot of people that were around at GORUCK anyway. And so to, to sort of optimize the time that you have, to say, hey, I, I want to get more out of my daily life of movement where, you know, I do I have a, an office job. I have to sit there and, and work in my office job. I'm, I've got a computer. You know, those are the things. You can, you can optimize your time of movement by adding a little bit of weight, the correct amount of weight. And, and increase it incrementally if you want to, keep the correct form. And that's a better way to get a little tougher and, and feel a little bit more accomplished. And so what, what the goal of this is, is to say, look, that's kind of like lots of things, like any of the lifts that, that you'll teach, like any of the forms or the, any of the kinds of exercises that are out there, do it correctly. Don't sacrifice form for reps and, and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not going to disagree with anything you just said. That's, that's a fair position to take. Cool. So 
we'll, we'll come back to this at the end as well, but there's, there's the back mechanic book, which you've, which you've written, which is for the lay person out there. You said it's the hardest book you've ever had to write because it was written for the lay person. It's not as scientific as the one that, that I went through. And by the way, I, I completely read the, the ultimate back fitness and performance, which is more for coaches and trainers and stuff like that. But look, a lot of us out there have some type of back problem. And you know, it, it, it always hurts a little bit more than you like. It aches a little bit more than you like. There's quick fixes that you can do that you have to sustain, like better posture, sit up straighter, stuff like that. And that will then allow you to do whatever's next. That next stuff could be all the performance stuff of the, the tactical athlete or the professional athlete or UFC fighters, all of whom you've, you, you've worked with. Well, most people, when they sit at a computer for eight hours a day, uh, it might be a bit problematic for them to just go to the weight room and start weight training. Uh, the spine adapts to the sitting throughout the day for a variety of reasons. The discs are hydraulic structures, for example. The best way to rebalance them and get them ready for weight room training is to go for a walk. They would be very uh, well advised to go for a walk, and I, I might submit as well that uh, that could be a ruck. So if you live in a city, I mean, here, here's the takeaway for a lot of people out there. Say you live in New York City, like your son, right? You live in DC, like I used to. You live in all these cities where there's, there's pockets of people that are, you know, there, there's cities built on locomotion, right? You have to sort of move. It's, a lot of people don't have cars there. The, the idea that you should, you should move more within that city. If you're going to go to the gym, maybe don't take the, the subway that reduces the amount of walking that you take to get to the gym. If it's a mile away or a mile and a half away, maybe you should ruck there. Well, that's what you see. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, we never saw kids uh, walking around with backpacks. When I was a kid, no one had a backpack to go to school. That, that's only happened in the last 30 or 40 years, I would say. But that's, uh, I was in New York last weekend. And uh, of course, most people, even businessmen, had uh, backpacks on with their business suits. That's a very healthful thing to do. So more movement, that's the goal. More movement for, for, for most people. Not, right. Not there. So we've, we've been doing this back and forth where there's always the exception, the person that shouldn't move more because they have a debilitating injury. And we're, we're kind of taking some of that up, up a notch and saying, look, as, as a society, collectively, more movement would be the goal. More movement with better form, more walking. Well, the scientific issue that all of these decisions are made upon is that of the biological tipping point. So you can imagine taking a vitamin, say vitamin D. If you were deficient, you'd be ill. And then you would add more vitamin D up until the tipping point where healthful optimum health is, uh, is achieved. And then if you take more vitamin D, it's a poison. So you say more movement. Well, if the person is already moving all day, the best thing they could do is rest. <laughs> okay. So we're, 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 we're trying to uh, establish a, a, a guiding principle here, and that is the tipping point. But most people, you're correct, they are way below their tipping point of optimal health because they don't move enough. So the order of progression is to move more often, but it doesn't have to be that far a distance to start. 
And then once they've developed that foundation, move on to more challenging types of, uh, of walking. And the next uh, level of challenge is to add load to it. Okay, so let's, let's talk about, you know, we've talked at GORUCK about how rucking is the foundation of special forces training, right? So there's movement and then there's rucking. And then there's lots of other stuff that you have to be adaptable to. You know, you, you ruck to the fight and then you fight for your life and it sprints up. Every, you have to be prepared for anything, right? And so one of the, the quotes that I loved from your book was, train movement, not muscle. And so can you just expound upon what that could mean for a tactical athlete or for someone who's really in any kind of fitness endeavor? I mean, you don't want to do what we both kind of said before when we were 18, 19. You want sort of big, pretty muscles that look good, but that, you know, you find out as you get a little bit older, you do some more stuff, they don't really work. So train movement, not muscle. What does that mean to you? Well, uh, if I uh, go back to our experience uh, in the laboratory, we would bring in different groups. There were military groups, firefighters, elite tactical police officers, and we would measure their ability to do their job. So make an arrest for a, uh, uh, a tactical police officer or rappel down a building, smash a window, enter and, and do your job that way. Or if you're a firefighter, breach a door, go in, pull a 400 pound heart attack victim out of the bathtub, put them in a chair and carry them down the stairs. I mean, these are some of the yeah. things that are, are real challenges for these people. And then we measured what fitness variables correlated to those abilities. Well, uh, you'd be surprised that what people thought of sort of bodybuilding, isolationist muscle strength uh, didn't help out some of these people very well. And as a as special forces uh, uh, soldier uh, yourself, you know who was capable and who was not. Uh, the ones who are capable are the ones who trained movements. So you can do bicep curls if you like, but now push a car. And you'll find out the difference now. Pushing a car is a pushing movement. Pulling a body out of a car wreck is a pull. It's not a muscle. It's how you can uh, put all of those muscle sequences together to move this full linkage. Uh, the laws that govern the linkage are uh, interesting in that. Uh, let me give you an example. I'm gonna give you a push now. Now let's say I can bench press 400 pounds. Now if I could bench press 400 pounds, that would mean I would have a very strong pec major muscle. So now I've trained that muscle. Now I'm going to push you with my bench press muscle. That muscle crosses my shoulder. Distal to my shoulder joint, it propelled my arm. Proximal to my shoulder joint, that muscle bends my rib cage and collapses. So if I trained that muscle and bench pressed 400 pounds, and if I used that muscle, there's my push. It's very incompetent. However, if I learned how to train the movement, I built up core stiffness. I've created a foundation of steel. Now 100% of that muscle activity 
is devastating. It produces the distal effect. So now I'm using the principles of movement, which is appropriate core stiffness, appropriate mobility, appropriate muscle sequencing to carry out that movement, and now it's devastating. And I can prove that over and over again. You look at who the knockout artists are in the UFC. When I measure them, and I'm one of the few who have measured them, the guys with the great big muscles, they don't hit very hard because they push their muscles. If you, They push their punches, if you know what I mean. But if you get the very modest looking fighter, but they create proximal stability, good timing, and boom, they contract and then relax the muscle to get the speed. And those are the ones that you have to look out for. So we see this time and time again, who are the capable athletes, and they don't always look like the most impressive bodybuilders would and those who train muscle. So let's talk about where power comes from, right? And, and the back's role in that. And the, the quote that I'm gonna pull is, all muscles are spine stabilizers. Right. Well, here's just an example. All I, I don't know if I said all muscles are spine stabilized. Well, they are in the core. Yes. So, but in the core, right? Yeah. You, you may have heard of a muscle being an antagonist or an agonist. So, if I did a bicep curl, the agonist is the bicep, and the antagonist is the tricep. That's the context of a muscle from an anatomical point of view. But this has very little to do with movement. Now everything becomes an agonist. Consider this. If I do a squat out of the chair, I extend my hips with my gluteal muscles. So if you said to an anatomist, what do the gluteals do? The anatomist would say, they extend your hip. And then you would say, well, what else do they do? And the anatomist would say, well, well, nothing. They cross the hip, so they extend the hip. But notice that when I extend my hip, my knee also extends. So my gluteals are extending my knee and plantar flexing my ankle. So now a muscle, because it's in this linkage, creates movement effects throughout the whole body. So you're starting to see now how every single muscle becomes an agonist. For me to go back to that example and push you, all of the muscles of my core became an agonist, assisting, creating the home base to allow me to push you very forcefully. Failure to create the proximal stiffness, I just would have pushed myself over. So every muscle becomes an agonist when we learn about the biomechanics of moving this linkage and anatomy falls short, at least what the anatomical textbooks say those, those muscles do. Hmm. They're, they're purely based on, on fiction and where, what joints they cross. So in essence, though, the, the spine is the, the sort of stabilizer in this. Right. Well, it's, it's kind of stopping movement. Or, it is. Or how does the, that work? The spine is the most proximal part of the body. So it's from the spine, all other movement emanates. So just to consider walking, for example, if I didn't stiffen my spine, my pelvis would bend and collapse. So even to walk, I needed a certain amount of stiffness and stability. So you can't push, pull, walk, rock, run uh, if you don't have a what we would call of, uh, I don't like the word core, but it's a popular word. So we'll call it a stable core. A stable core is non-negotiable. Um, interestingly enough, walking, running, uh, rocking, carrying are all... Um, very naturally balancing of core stability. So 
We talk about the sagittal plane, the front and the back, but also the frontal plane, either sides, are naturally uh, conditioned with the reciprocal plant one leg, swing the next, plant that leg, swing the other, back and forth. It creates a three-dimensional, uh, 360 degree fitness around the core. Uh, you don't get this in the weight room doing exercises like deadlifts and uh, power cleans and bench press. You only get it when you stand on one leg and you get that reciprocally when you walk or run. So there's a natural destabilization that happens when you're walking. Well, there's certainly a challenge to stability, absolutely, which your body must meet and, and make. So that's, that's what exercise is. You're challenging endurance or strength or stability, and you're conditioning your body to meet those challenges. So then if, if you're progressing from walking into rucking and you have 20 pounds or whatever on, on, your, on your back while you're rucking, it's a greater challenge to maintain the stability while walking, assuming proper form. Absolutely, because you stand on one leg, the natural reaction is to drop this pelvis and fall. Um, so you use your core muscles of what's called quadratus lumborum and the obliques to hold the pelvic platform level, which supports your back as you walk, supporting your body on one leg and then the other and back and forth. So it creates this. Uh, challenge to uh, that, that. Which would be further kind of amplifying guidance on why it's important to incrementally increase the weight or the difficulty because you're, you're strengthening your body to be able to do this. Whether it's walking with nothing or it's rucking with 20 or it's rucking with 50. As you increase it, there's more than just your shoulders comfort or discomfort with the load. It's your body is getting used to these destabilizing challenges by strengthening, you're strengthening yourself. Right, so any type of training is simply to create an adaptation. So it's the day after that you experience this strengthening and endurance. And uh, th th these are universally transferable to things like, uh, well, I was giving you some examples for first responders, breaching a door, lifting some, some, somebody from a bathtub. At some point in your life, you're going to be called upon to do that. And uh, if you can't do it, you can't do it. Well, if you can't do it and you try, you'll get hurt. Yeah. So train, get ready, be able to do it. Uh, well, I agree. I agree. Come on. With yeah. You. you want to say that? Of course. Everyone, yeah, I, I, come on, people. Train, train harder. Get ready. Be able to do that. Someone might need you at some point in your life. That's where I was headed. Can yeah. you do it or can't you? Well, I, I, I believe that we all have a responsibility to uh, keep our bodies ready to uh, meet an unexpected demand. It might be to assist a family member or somebody else. So it's your responsibility to uh, treat this with some uh, uh, respect and uh, be ready. One day you'll be asked. God bless you, that's awesome. So in, in the further progression, because we've talked about the briefcase carry or the, farmer's, the farmer carry, where, if, you know, let's say you start walking, then you progress, you have a little bit of load on your, on your back. So now you're rucking with some weight. And, you know, then you progress to one arm carries of, say, a sandbag or a kettlebell or whatever it is. You go 20 meters, you come back, you do the, the other arm. And you can sort of see how a progression could happen where you're strengthening these, these, these muscles that you need for optimal performance. I mean, these are the kinds of things that we would always tinker around with, with how to sort of push 
push even further and further without compromising the form. Because important for us, really important, because the roots in, in special forces are, if you get injured, you're, you're out of the fight. Your team is down a man. And that's, that's a life-threatening possibility. It, it's more of a life-threatening possibility for your team if you're injured. They have to take care of you or you're just out of the fight. So keeping form is really important. Making sure that you're healthy enough to push yourself as far as you need to with the lowest, the lowest possible risk, that's, that's the lifestyle that we like to, to champion. Well, you, I don't know if you realized it, but you just described the uh, fitness test for the Canadian military, which was uh, evolved and changed about uh, 10 and 15 years ago. It was a little bit of a process, but it is, it is exactly that. There are sandbag carries to different locations, uh, lifts, lows, lowers, carries, pushes and pulls. Um, it's, it's not, uh, you know, how many sit-ups can you do in a minute? <laughs> That's great. I mean, the Army... Army PT test is still push-up, sit-ups, run. And then in SF, there's a, there's a ruck as well. And some of them have gone to sort of way more complicated stuff, upper body round robins and, and stuff like that, trying to increase human performance. But the, the big mothership, and, and by default then everyone, you have to be able to do Army PT test, which is push-ups, sit-ups, and running. I guess the, the assumption would be that if, if you had the discipline to train those, you're definitely going to do other stuff. But they're not necessarily indicative of your ability to really go the absolute distance because the next thing we want to talk about is, is endurance and that's important. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just make a statement on that. I've uh, had many athletes come to see me who, uh, well, let, let, let's take a, a mixed martial artist or a karate athlete. And uh, by tradition, they would get up and do a few sit-ups every day. Well, that's fine until they're about 23 or 24. Now they've sensitized their discs a little bit with that constant hundreds of bends every day. They didn't get used to it. Cumulatively, over time, they became painful. Interestingly enough, we stop them from doing those exercises. So instead of doing a curl up over a gym ball, to use an example, we would turn them over and say, let's do the stir of the pot, which is they get on their toes and they put their elbows on the ball, but they lock their core. And then they will come back and say, you know what? My pain is gone and I'm even a better martial artist. I'm even stronger through here. So we changed the pain mechanism into a performance enhancement uh, exercise by treating this to stop motion and release the motion out of the ball and socket joints and transmit the power there. So uh, you've also said don't wake up first thing in the morning and put undue stress on your back. Well, that's uh, another uh, foundational principle that's been uh, trialed in athletic groups and also in uh, occupational groups. Bending first thing in the morning because the discs are hydrophilic throughout the night. They sucked up fluid and you're actually a centimeter or half an inch or so taller first thing in the morning than you were the previous night. The bending stresses, if you bend to put on your socks, for example, they're higher in the morning. In fact, in some people, three times higher than when they mm -hmm. went to bed at night. So they would be much wiser if they wanted to settle down their uh, back pain sensitivity and increase their athleticism just to back off the, the heavy bending early in the morning. All right, let's talk about no pain, no gain. How do you feel about that? Well, 
The pain I'm talking about is orthopedic back pain. I'm not talking about a little bit of muscular. Muscle uh, soreness is okay. Uh, right? the, most, good of, form. most of the time, muscle soreness is what we what, what will help. It feels us. good. Sure, but uh, there are some people, believe it or not, who are so, now so de-evolved that they can't tell the difference between a little muscle soreness and true pain to the joints and the connective tissues. Uh, that type of pain is a warning sign. Back off, rest, allow those tissues to adapt to the point that they strengthen. But failure to recognize that, and if they keep pushing it, those tissues now cumulatively uh, traumatize. So I, I see these things on the internet where someone will do heavy training uh, for a few days, and then they'll say, on my day off, I only did this, you know, 10 burpees and 10 mm -hmm. of this or that. And I think those people, this is a show of bravado. They don't understand biological, biological adaptation and that you really get strong when you uh, rest. Uh, I've worked uh, enough with, with the strongest men and women of the world, and I don't say that lightly, the absolute strongest men and mm -hmm. women. And uh, they all spend a particular effort on resting properly and allowing the adaptation to make their body as strong as possible. It's the fools who uh, say, on my day off, I only did a hundred of this or a hundred of that. Yeah, there's a certain Americanism to the American way. It's like we're, we want to talk about how hard we work and it's, you know, more I mean, is not better. I'm You're right. Sort of like God bless us, though. It's awesome. It's just how do we do it smarter? That's sort of what we're getting at. So, what are just some? You know, we've talked about them, but just kind of in summary, as we as we start to to close this, you know, don't break form, right? Walking is non-negotiable. All these kinds of of things where you got to be smart about this too. Yeah. Uh, well, my world in uh, in back pain. Uh, those who continue to stay in pain, you know, someone tells them they have chronic back pain. And when we really assess the mechanisms of their pain, they don't have chronic back pain at all. They have many acute insults all day long. They overdo something and that is a little mini acute crisis for their back. And not realizing that if they stop those mini acute crises, their chronicity would wind itself down. Well, there's several ways that they could have gone about that. One would be just to institutionalize a work-rest ratio. So it's not go, go, go all the time, but it's not rest either. You need to get going to stimulate those adaptations to build some robustness in your body. But if you were to ask me, okay, so what's the secret amount? And the answer is that's very dependent on the person. What's their injury history, their age, uh, the current level of fitness, how hard do they need to push to reach their goals, etc. But once we figure all of that out, we are able to create a progression that will use the most efficient tools that we have in our exercise toolbox to get them through to the level of uh, adaptation and, and conditioning that they need to do whatever it is with resilience. So no matter what, whomever's out there, pain is not a, we're not talking muscle fatigue. We're talking back pain. This is not a, you're not supposed to have it. You're not damned to have it, right? The human body is not programmed for you to just have back pain. 
fair? Yeah, it's not normal. Something is... Listen uh, to your body if you have pain, right? Right, but again, I I have to uh, modulate that a little bit and read the person. Some people, they're hypochondriacs. They complain about every little thing. The next person is so tough, they never mention. (laughs) Yeah, don't be fragile. Right. Be be tough, but but don't be stupid. Yeah, it's a cultural thing. I mean, some people are so soft. They have a the minor, most minor of little thing, and, and they're they're backing off when they should have pushed through a little bit harder. You take the next person, they will push through to the point of damaging themselves. Mm-hmm. So you need to pull them uh, back a little bit. So if there's an issue, you need to deal with the issue. The the back mechanic is a good your your book is a good start for someone to start to understand some of the problems and how to fix them. Uh, among well, them. if they have back pain, right? And again, I've measured this, so I'm not talking through my hat. That will get 95 percent of people with debilitating back pain better. Right. So once you once you start to to experience a life without that pain, you don't want to just rush into it the, the very same day or the next day. Your your body has to catch up a little bit. You well, need to incrementally increase what you're, you're doing. Here's one of the reasons why people remain in back pain from an episodic perspective. They are successful at winding down their back pain and then immediately they interpret that as a green light to get back to heavy training again, and it isn't. So I think I'm just saying what you said in a different way. Wind down the back pain and then you have to allow the biology to allow tissue adaptation. So if they had real tissue damage, you've got to let that heal. Uh, Other times it's just a matter of allowing the tissues to adapt and remodel. And if it's bone and and discs and whatnot, they all adapt at differential rates, but give it some time. And with a little bit of patience and strategic progressions, uh, we have proven this so many times with with creating and restoring the careers of very robust athletes, once again, out of some very dark places with their backs. So you might even learn something about your body in that process of fixing the, the pain triggers that will make you more in tune so that you don't go back to those same. I mean, I, when I was in college, I was playing tennis. I think I, I, I used to have posture, I would just slouch, right? I would be on the table, much like this table, where the, uh, the trainers would be after practice every day. And I'd be there and I just my back was killing me. I had to sleep with my legs up, right? So I, I had to relieve the pain. I could not lie down on my back straight. And the, the trainer told me to pull my string, right? What he basically meant was, you know, make your thrust line straight, have a straight back. And a lot of this is going to go away. I mean, I was 20 at the time. I was very young. And it sort of, it kind of changed my approach to things where, I mean, I was taking 10 Advil a day for a while to try to fight through the pain. Because I just wanted to keep playing tennis, right? I was on the team. I loved the camaraderie. We were we were pretty good. It was fun. And just fight through the pain, do what you have to do. Well, it took this sort of shift in how I was just would carry myself just on a daily basis, the back hygiene of sorts of, of my life to where then I could get a lot better at doing a lot of the other stuff that I wanted to do. And that started out was continue to play tennis without back pain and without other types of pain. And then it transitioned to you know, how to do a lot of the other crazy stuff that I did in, in the special forces training. And 
if I wouldn't have gone through that, I, I can't imagine that I wouldn't have gotten injured throughout that process. So in, in sort of putting myself in, in that universe, I mean, I would have I would have loved to have read this book back then. It would have solved my problems a lot sooner that would have let me get back to performing at the level that I wanted to do. And so everyone out there has goals in life. Get out, go travel, go do something awesome. Go find the biggest mountain. Go find, if you want to join the military, join the military. Go, go far. If you want to be a great athlete, go be a great athlete. Don't let poor form or the ego attached with wanting 10 more pounds on your bench press that you could probably do a, a better exercise anyway, get in the way of getting out there and, and doing it. But foundational is to fix the things that you need to fix. And I, I mean, I think that your, your approach and your way of teaching people and educating people about that is a really positive thing for a lot of our people out there and just everyone in general. I do tell the stories in there of uh, several athletes who uh, say, I never set the gold record. I never got a, a world record or, or won the gold medal until after my injury. And that, that injury really was a gift. Uh, it taught me that I must never train with poor form. It taught me that I must always take rest periods and deload weeks and really periodize my training in a smart way and allow the tissues to adapt and uh, create that ultimate robustness that they needed to be the best in the world. But there, as you read several of those stories in there. Right. Well, it's been a real pleasure and an honor to spend some time in, at, at your headquarters here. It's been, it's been awesome. Um, you can, if you're, if you're out there in, in Go Ruck world, you'll see a lot more of the, the other lessons that we learned today on our site. And you can go pick up Back Mechanic. I mean, I, I picked up mine on Amazon, I assume. Yeah, the they're on Amazon or you can go to backfitpro.com and see some of the other things that we do. Yeah. If you're out there and you are a performance athlete, and I think there are, everyone certainly aspires to doing more of the things that they want to perform better in life. I think that this is foundational what you're what you're teaching people. So I think everyone should get out and and read your book and sort of prescribe to your your way of life. It's 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 awesome. So thanks for letting me come to your come to your house. This is this has been great fun and I hope we get to work together on a lot more projects in the future. Terrific. Thank you very much. All right, two years after that interview, back here in the champagne room, GoRec headquarters with Rich. We just watched the, we actually did this in video. We just watched the video, which, man, that dude is absolutely belongs in the glorious professionals category. Archives. Yeah. He is very, very careful about his words. There, there was a, a kind of a consistent theme of I'm trying to get him to say something and he would say it in a way that he was comfortable saying it. In his terms. In his terms, we had just spent, before before we chatted in that interview, we had spent the better part of, uh, I don't know, three or four hours together going over some videos and talking about rucking and the spine for some other projects that we'd worked with him on that was on our rucking page and stuff like that. And so we kind of had developed uh, a lingo where he would say something and I would translate it. And I think it... <laughs> It came across maybe a little too much. But at times he would retranslate it. Yeah, and then he would retranslate it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing with this guy listening to him. I can imagine the, the people that he's dealt with, an incredible array of very high-level athletes, uh, military, police, firemen, 
and, and I get the fact that he wants to be very correct in what he says, and he doesn't want to steer people the wrong way. He wants them to understand what he's talking about. And it was great to see that he brought it down to the level of the average layman so that you could understand what he was saying. I mean, I'm, I'm a layman. I'm, I am not, certainly not a doctor. I understood perfectly everything he was saying about the, the forces within the body and how it reacts to certain things. Super guy. Yeah, we were there and, you know, it was lunchtime and his, his daughter, who helps him run the business, she made us, you know, tuna fish sandwiches and we sat out back in his little, his little deck. And he, he, by the way, has one of the most badass handlebar mustaches on the planet. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a real winner. That's a sweet mustache. It's, it's a real winner. I mean, you got, a, you got an okay one, Rich, but he, he's pretty dominant like it, that. Oh, yeah. He's good. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, some of the, the conversations that we had have just become almost second nature to me in how I talk about rucking through lots of different channels, whether it's on, on people's podcasts or it's internal at Go Ruck or it's blogging about rucking or talking. I mean, and it, it comes from him. And, and I want to give credit where credit is due. I can see that because I've, I've listened to you for years <laughs> and you have a gift to gab. God bless you, Rich. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but now I see where some of your core direction when you're talking to people about rucking and rucksacks and backs and movement, I see where a lot of it comes from. I mean, you're a smart guy, but he's, He's a cut above. He well, studied that. Yeah. That's his area of expertise. And you were able to take that away from, from him in your, in your talks with him and, and, and all and translate it and use it on a daily basis to help people get better at rucking. So interestingly enough, you know, he knows uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett, who we also had on the podcast pretty well. Right. They've, they're they're kind of running in a very, the, the same circles, right? And you know, those two I've just learned so much from over the years. I mean, they, when they, they say something, I, I definitely put it in my, you know, it's, it's an arrow in my quiver yeah. and it kind of, it's like, okay, this is, this is a great way to kind of explain to people. And the idea of the rucksack on the top of your back, it's like a lever. It's like a, another muscle that you have. Cause when people say the back, they're usually talking about the lower back. Exactly. That's usually the problem that people have. And so what happens is you put the rucksack, the muscle, if you will, it's kind of cool to think about a rucksack as a muscle. Yeah. And you put it on the, the weight high, as we were sort of taught, as the go ruck rucker right. does. Yep. Right. And it's a lever against your, your counterbalancing your lower back. So the goal with your lower back is to quiet it. You don't want it to be engaged. You want to have that, that thrust line of your spine. And you, and, and that will quiet your lower back. And then you start getting into Kelly Starrett. He's like, you have to load your spine. You will be stronger and more resilient if you load your spine. And you kind of listen to these two guys with all of this experience. I mean, these guys are the experts. Oh, absolutely. No question about it. It's great to think of it in that way. I mean, I, I always knew to put the rucksack high. It kind of came naturally and I was trained that way. I didn't know why exactly. I didn't know the medical principles or the, or the principles of physics that applied to that. I just knew it worked. But now listening to this, it just makes so much more sense. And so you get these guys and they're basically like, keep good form and do a lot more. And, and this is, 
this is more than just being a, a doctor of physiology or a back doctor or, or what you will. This is a mindset. And, and the mindset is based upon the idea, which is a fact of evolution, that the body is not a fragile thing. If it were, we'd be extinct a long time ago. And you're capable of doing so much more. And the body responds well to that stress, just like, uh, like a muscle, like your pectoral muscles respond to a bench press. Your whole body, if, if you start getting into train the movement, not the muscle, your body will respond well to the movements. So do more movements. As he said, the body adapts. It has always adapted from the hunter-gatherers to today. Now, sometimes it adapts improperly. If you just sit all day at a computer, you don't move, you, you, you get up in the morning and you have your coffee, you sit down and eat your cereal, and then you sit down and work eight hours a day and all of, the whole thing that he went through. But the body adapts, and it's, the body is an amazing thing. But more importantly, his point was it adapts properly when you treat it properly. And that's the key. Do it the right way. Do the right things. Ruck, among other things. Walk, ruck, move. It just makes absolute sense. Well, I mean, if you're looking for excuses or reasons why you should pursue an easier life, you're not going to find them here. What we're, what we're talking about is how to do things better so that you can do a lot more and it can be a lot harder because there's a lot of reward in that. Yeah. And, and so you listen to Kelly's interview and you listen to Dr. McGill's like these, these are the experts. Like, this is where our ideas come from. We're kind of like, cause I'm in the same exact boat. I've, I've been on this kind of crusade to understand rucking for some years now. I know exactly how my body will perform, did perform. I like, you just become very in tune with it when you push it to the levels that we did with rucksacks on in the various training and tactical situations that we did. Right. But you don't, it's hard to communicate it except orally, which is what you do in special forces. And it's like, Hey, do it like this. It's kind of like the difference between, you know, a nurse and a doctor, right? Like the doctor knows all the theory of everything and the nurse kind of knows how to treat most things, but right. you know, you, and, and there's a little bit of both. Like we'd be, I, I don't know. Does that make us the nurses of rucking or something? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. We're like the fucking rucking master experts in, in, in a, another realm. We just need some, we need some glorious professional help, right. Yeah. To help us understand how to really properly explain it and then push it out because people out there are skeptical. And I understand that, right. There's a million new fads that launch every single year and buy this thing and your life's going to be easier and better. And it's all snake oil. No, almost all when it, when it's positioned yeah. like that, it's snake yeah. oil, right? Oh, yeah. your life's going to be so easy. If you buy this, like, no, it's not. That's always snake oil. Cause there is no silver bullet. Yep. There's exactly. no silver bullet out there. You can listen to us talk. You don't have to believe us, but you really should believe the experts. We can give you on the ground truth. They can give you the theory that explains the under the, the on the ground truth. Yeah. And so even I remember I was out there and I was chatting with uh, Dr. McGill. I try to get him to talk about anything but the back. And he was like, nope, not my lane. I'm like, well, what about, you know, the transfer to the hips and the, the, the knees? knees. He'll very, very casually talk about, you know, 
just, I mean, he's, you, you heard it a little bit in this interview, you know, how the body kind of will react to, to movements, but all the muscles working in tandem, working together to create an effort, but there's a, a major portion for him, the back yeah. that, that makes the difference. Yeah. The, the back directs everything else. And there is a lot of other stuff going on, but they're not going to talk about it because it's not their lane. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas, you know, Kelly Starrett, he's a little bit more broader, you know, physiology and, and stuff. So he's talking about greater movements, but the back is the one, the back is the one that everybody always comes to in the military. And I, I mentioned this in there. It was like, man, my back got messed up from rucking. It's like, well, actually, no, it didn't. Right? right. I mean, like, okay, if you put a hundred pounds on in which everyone in the military always had a hundred pound rucksack, ask them, they'll tell you at least, <laughs> at least. And so there, there is a, a long-term strategy, which I would love us to help pioneer, which is to help teach the military how to teach people to rock. Yeah. It's, it's not something that you're taught. It's, it's like, put this on and, and go for a rock. You, you kind of pick it up from the people around you. you. You observe, you watch, you get a little bit of it. You get a little direction, a little, a little instruction, but not formal instruction. It's all informal, word of mouth. Oh, I tried this, didn't work. Okay, then I'm not going to try that because if it didn't work for you, it's probably not going to work for me. So you, you just kind of keep, it keeps moving like that. So it's passed on as a tribal or oral history. Yeah, but it's like, you know, well, rucking sucks. Well, yeah, you know, you had a hundred pound rock or, or a 300 pound rock, right? I mean, it's always, it's always so much. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you, you go, you're on your patrol and you dig fighting positions and then, you know, in comes the, the arty Sims. So, and it's like, oh shit, that means the casualty telling us we got to leave. Right. So you don't get any sleep. You don't get any food to speak of. They starve you and you move on to the next point. You do that for whatever your field training exercise is. And then you're like, man, rucking sucks, you know? And, and meanwhile, some of my purest experiences of, of just physical human performance were in special forces assessment and selection when I had that ruck on. And it's just, it's just pure. You're just out there in the woods at Camp McCall by yourself. And you're just moving as fast as you can with that ruck on. And when you're done and you do the rucksack flop, I mean, I just felt like my entire body was just swollen from just, it's just an awesome, like blood was just flowing. I mean, it was just awesome. And, but the the back is the one that people come back to. And it's like, well, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of stuff in the military. You're, you're running and probably too much because running is not really something that you do in, in combat ever. You don't ever go for a jog in combat. It's like you might you might sprint, you might oh, yeah. you might ruck to some place, you might do these kinds of things, but you're not really jogging. It it's going to beat your knees up, right? You're jumping out of air. How many airplane jumps you got? Uh, twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you're you're doing a lot of different stuff that that is hard on the body, and so what I love to see is the guys and gals out there that are sharpening the tip of that spear and doing more stuff, whether it's yoga or stretching or correct form of, of things, not doing stupid stuff just to do it, but actually learning stuff. And so I want us to be part of that solution when it comes to, to rucking, because that's one of the things that we can kind of bring more people in and, and get them to be the experts. And we can 
we can be the megaphone for what they have to say. And it just kind of, it, it increases the knowledge. Well, I loved his, his aspect of training to movement. Yeah, I love that. Figure out the movements that you do, the, the movements that are required of whatever it is you're doing, and train to that. Don't train to necessarily push-ups, sit-ups, bench presses, all of that other stuff. There's nothing wrong with it, but don't expect that to give you the proper musculature or the proper body to do your job every day. So talk about the evolution. I mean, in the 1980s, Gold's Gym, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Oh, I mean, gosh. bodybuilding. That was oh, yeah. the thing. Uh, it, it it absolutely was. And there was a lot of guys in the military at that time that, that got big on, on, okay, let's go hit the gym. And so the gyms popped up, of course, all over the military. There were gyms already, but they they now switched to meat racks and, and everything else to, to, to pump yourself up. Yet you didn't see a corresponding ability in normal everyday soldier activities just because they'd been at the gym. And everybody was a bit confused about it. I mean, they looked great. They were pumped up. They had great biceps, triceps. They had great quads. I mean, they were, they were just, they were going crazy with this stuff. And it goes right back to what he talked about. You're building up the wrong muscles in the wrong way. You, you may need to build those muscles, but you may need to build them in a different way, not in a bulk way, but in an endurance way. And that's the key. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine though how successful for the selfie culture all that if bodybuilding we're in right now too? I mean, it's it's actually pretty hard to yeah. take selfies of yourself if you're you're actually doing real work. But if all you were doing was you know spraying oil on yourself and doing bicep curls, man, you could you could take selfies of yourself with with your left hand and bicep curl with your right and all Absolutely. that stuff, you know. I mean, it's just you know wait till that stuff comes back. That's going to be awesome. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. But yeah, I've, I've, you know, trained the movement, not the muscle. And so you get into functional fitness, you get into sort of CrossFit stuff. There is a really, really important part of this though, that don't get lost in this idea of doing more without doing it correctly. Like, right. and, and it, it go rock with all of right. the classes. And look, I've, I've come along hugely. If you were here with me and in, in one of my early classes of the go rock challenge, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about form and doing it correctly. There was talk right. about suck it up buttercup, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know, that's the difference, I guess, between being 31 and 41 or take your <laughs> pick, right? Or there was just kind of, hey, I expect you to know how to do this. And that's really what it is. And now it's sort of helping to educate people mm -hmm. that we need to do these things correctly. correctly. And so when you start getting into the movements of, you know, he talked a lot about firefighters. We, we think and talk a lot about, you know, first responders and, yeah. and soldiers and stuff. And, and so when you start pushing really heavy weights around, there's just greater risk of injury. Sure. Like it's just, it's just higher. And so it yeah. puts more emphasis on form. So, you know, I also love just in the review reviewing of, of this uh, conversation that we had about, I didn't win the gold medal until after I mm -hmm. got injured because it forced me to focus on my form. It's like anything else yeah. in life, you know? You're full of hubris and you think nothing's going to happen to you until you it, it does. And then it should change your ways. Yeah. The body tends to correct itself. If you won't correct it, oftentimes it'll correct you. I, I found this to be true. And that's kind of what he's talking about with those athletes. They were training and they were, they were good. 
but they never got to the level they wanted to be until they actually got hurt and had to go back and look at their own form, their own style, and start training to movement, not muscle. Yep. All right. We'll have to get together with Dr. McGill again. Absolutely. That'd be really? great. Check out check out his his book. We'll link it in the show notes. I mean, it's it's something that I've I've read them all cover to cover. They're they're great. And there's a lot, there's a wealth of knowledge. So if if you want to empower yourself with knowledge, because you know, every once in a while we all get we all get to that point where we're like, oh, screw it, man. I'm just gonna do it. Right. And you have a little bit more knowledge, you might, you might reconsider it or <laughs> or you might do it better. And yeah. you know, he is the global expert on the back. And so that's who you want to talk to. That's who you want to learn from. And it was awesome to get, get, to, get to chat with him and, and finally get this out the door. Thanks as always for your listenership. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed the Glorious Professionals podcast, forward it on to a friend. We, we can't do more of stuff like this without your support and we're grateful for it. So thank you. Thanks.